All right. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to get through a chapter, and that's in Joshua chapter 2. And before we jump there, I will mention this. The last time we, I was up here, I think it was a Sunday, and we were, we've been going through like Mark 6, 7, 8, and what we saw was a lot of people that were seeking the Lord. They were, they were processing what to believe, what not to believe, who is Jesus, and, and things like that. They were seeking him out. Religious leaders were testing him and so forth. So people were gathering, and they were gathering to hear him. There was multitudes. But now here in Joshua chapter 2, it's a different scenario. We're talking about the city of Jericho. And with the city of Jericho, the people were not looking for God or in, any, in any form. Uh, they were pagans. And they weren't, um, what they were doing, though, is they were hearing about the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. But they weren't seeking him. They were actually against him. They were actually afraid of him and his people, as we'll see throughout this chapter. And we'll have a lot of reading to do, and the scriptures will be on the wall for you. Um, but in this chapter 2, it's powerful with what takes place. You're probably familiar with it. There's a few things, actually about five things that jump out to me. There's, there's dozens, but there's five that I want to bring to your attention tonight, having to do with a certain person's faith. And in this chapter, in Jericho, where people are running from God, or I should say not desiring him, afraid of his people, afraid of the reports they're hearing, there's this one woman. And this one woman, her name is Rahab. And she is, we can understand from what takes place, has been responding to her conscience. She's been responding to the stories about God, about his people. There's something going on, a drawing of God, and she is responding. And we just see this transpire, and we're going to look at her faith. And what we're looking at today, the title of the, today's teaching, is having a faith like Rahab. Because it's important, it's crucial that we have a faith like Rahab in the world we live today. We look at what we're looking at here is Jericho, a pagan society. And what you're looking at when we walk out of these, uh, this sanctuary, what we have in the world, what's going on in the world. There's a lot of distractions that can take place. But the story of Rahab's life, her faith is powerful. It's beautiful because of who she is, what she is. It's an opportunity for us to learn. And, you know, as I was going through it, I asked Carol, I said, hey, have the, uh, the ladies, the women's retreat, have you done anything on the topic of Rahab? There's so much there. It's rich with things for, for women, for ladies, for young girls. But it, overall, it, it, there's just beautiful stuff for all of us because it's talking about faith. And so with those five points, as we go along the teaching, I'll point them out to you. You might be writing down your own as, you, as things jump off the page to you. So let's go to Joshua chapter 2, and let's start at verse 1. In verse 1 it reads, <clears throat> well, Oh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two, uh, two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, uh, if you guys are looking for some good jokes, there's the question of who is the only person in the Bible who doesn't have parents? Yeah, yeah, Joshua. Okay, you know the answer. It's an old pastor's joke. Joshua, son of Nun. 
son of Nan. Okay. Usually you get the answer, oh, you know, <laughs> Adam, Adam, you know. But it's, uh, so write that one down in the, in the side. Okay, so Joshua, the son of Nun, <laughs> he sent two men secretly, spies, sort of like the uh, Michigan Wolverines football team. They sent two spies, and they went to go view the land, especially Jericho, because it's fortified with walls, and that land is promised to them. And so these two guys, these two spies, are sent out to Jericho, to the house of a prostitute. Okay, and so the way it's constructed, the walls could be about 12 what, feet wide. She, her home was probably in the, in the walls of Jericho, and she was a prostitute. And the interesting thing is her house, you would think, like, why a prostitute's place? Why would they go to a place of prostitution? Well, it's, it's easy to answer because it's very possible that her house was attached or was somewhat like an inn or a tavern, a place where business was conducted. It was an excellent cover for the spies to go into this city when the gates were open during the day and go into this location and be at the place where, basically, where all the chisme is, where all the gossip is, where all the talking happens, where they could learn stuff about Jericho. And so it's like going to a bar, maybe the barber shop, maybe for you ladies, the salon, when they start talking and you're hearing things about this person and that person, you get gossip. So they go to her house, they lodge there, they're gathering information about Jericho because they are going to destroy it, as you know, the story of the walls of Jericho. So it's, it's a public place. It's a perfect cover for spies to blend in. And when you look at uh, the, the fact that they went, it could be troubling. They went to a, a, a prostitute's house, you know, and they, they stayed there. They lodged there. Well, the word that's used when they, uh, in the Hebrew as them entering the, her home, her house, her business, was it simply generic? as in they just entered it. They entered it. There's no, sexually, no sexual suggestion there. And uh, so that's a key point to mention. Now, when we look over later on what Rahab responds to certain people, there may be something sexually suggested. Perhaps, maybe. But even if it was, you'll learn that she's selling a lie. So here we have Rahab. And they're at her place. And they lodge there. She's a Canaanite. She's a prostitute. She's not a cultic prostitute because the word used there is for a common prostitute. So it's not as though she had much pool with the city or with the leaders that you'll see. So this woman, a prostitute, we see no uh, mention of a husband. She's a Canaanite. She's growing up in a, she's raised in a pagan society. And here she is perhaps responding to God at some point. She's caught up in a life of sin she is an unbeliever of the true living God, the one she's hearing about. But something is going on. And one of the points that I want to bring to your attention, or one of the keys, if you will, to help us to have a faith like Rahab, is to resist peer pressure, to resist the noise that we are surrounded with in the world, in the workplace, wherever you might go, maybe even in your households. Things that are of the world, things that are not of God, and in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. We have to be people, followers of God, who don't consent when people are drawing us towards wickedness, towards sin. We have to hold fast. 
and stand our ground. You know, with Rahab, there's stories going on. There's, there's, there's stories about the Israelites, God and what he did, his people and how they've conquered. And so she's hearing these things. She's hearing about the miraculous uh, deliverance from Egypt and on and on. They've heard all the stories. And Rahab, very much like Nicodemus, if you recall, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night and asked him questions because there were people that were seeking. They were trying to understand. And I see the same thing playing out with Rahab because she's been hearing these stories and she's been moved by them. And so in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 15, after it talks about the people that would draw you to wickedness, to sin, to murder, or what have you, in verse 15 it says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. The world, the enemy, is out to kill us, to destroy us spiritually. We have to be above that. We have to be able to resist the noise of the world, the standards of the world. We see Rahab doing this, and we see this faith growing, being able to withstand the pagan gods, to withstand the, the things that are going on in our life. And at what point, there's things that take place in our life that we don't have a timeline of when they stopped or when, they, when she was coming around. So, the first thing is resisting the peer pressure. That's one of the key things that we see happening with her as she hears the stories, as she's in this world, and she's mixed up in a, a life of sin. Look at Joshua chapter, uh, verse 2. It says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So you see, it worked. They got, it worked the opposite way. All the chisme going on, chisme means gossip, all the, in Spanish, of, of what's being said probably in that house of prostitution. And they're like, hey, there's some guys here that don't belong. They don't fit in. And you know, the Israelites were detected here. At some point, they were seen, they were noticed. Probably because you have men of God walking into a pagan society, they stand out. Walking into a house of prostitution, they probably stood out. You know, we should stand out in this world, much like they stood out in Jericho. When wherever we are in the workplace, we're out in the ball game or whatever it is, there's something about us that should stand out where people would recognize there's a Christian in the house. There's a Christian sitting next to me. People noticed them and people should notice us. I don't know how it went down in, the, in that house or what have you, but maybe it was sort of like, uh, you know, hey, hey, handsome, you're looking for a date? And maybe it was like, uh, yeah, um, no thanks, but no thanks. Maybe they were just gentlemen. Something stood out, and that is the way life should be for us. And the question we should have is, do I stand out enough in this world? Do I stand in the gap when the Lord calls me to? Do I stand out when I have a conviction in the midst of chaos, of sin, conversation? Do I avoid it? Do I walk away? Or do I add to it in the right way to diffuse it, perhaps? Look at verse 3. We see something taking place. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, 
because they found out that these guys are in here. They're at that place. Then the king uh, of Jericho sent to, uh, sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out the land, all the land. You see, they were on alert because they knew about the Israelites. They knew what they, were, what they have been doing and they were bound to show up to search us out. Verse four, but the woman had taken the two spies and hidden them. And she said, true, the man came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the man went out. I do not know where the man went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she gives him some help and says, hey, you know, they took off. If you go now, you might get them. So what she's doing is she's lying. So here is Rahab, the prostitute, who knows something's going on because of the stories, and she hid them. So she hid them, they show up, and she lies. Look at verse 6. And she brought them up to the roof, but, I'm sorry, but she brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on her roof. So she put them under this stuff that's like roofing, and they, they, she hid them in there. And then in verse 7 it says, so the men pursued after them. They go, they took her word for it. They pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the Chevys. I'm sorry, the Fords. <laughs> you're, you're saying like, <laughs> you're probably wondering like, what's, what's a Ford anyway, right? Well, it, it's a car that's not fast as Chevys. It uh, has to do with like paths or, you know, whatever. And, the, and it says, and the gate was shut and soon as, as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the, the gate's always shut at night or whatever time it was. So they go after and they're looking for these guys because after all, she just gave them the, in the scoop. They were here. Uh, I don't know who they were, but they left. Yet she hid them. So here she is lying. So she admits to the, that the spies were in her place. Now, it's interesting because culturally speaking, it was the responsibility of the host or the person who lived there to protect their guests. So she perhaps is doing that. And she's going a little above and beyond, though, for, for a specific reason. She's doing what is traditional or culturally expected. She is protecting her guests. But she went above and beyond, I believe, and because of a specific motive. She, she knows more than what she's letting on to. Um, and so she gives the truth. She says, true, the man came here, and then she pours out the lies and sends them the opposite way. And I picture these guys, and I'm sure they weren't, but I get the impression of, well, I can't help it, but like the Keystone Cops. Okay, that way, and they just go. And they took her word for it. She's a common prostitute. She's not a cultic prostitute, as in um, ceremonial type, where she would maybe have some pool or, or, or some standing that they would respect. But they go, and they follow her. The second thing is we see here, and I'm going to go a little deeper into this, is what we see Rahab doing is she's putting her faith into action. Our faith needs to have some action. We need to put our faith into action. She did. She had faith. She has faith here, and she does something. She, what she does is she also lies in doing what she did. So we need to do the same. We need to put our faith into action and serve the Lord. You want to grow your faith? If I want to grow my faith, I need to serve God. 
I could believe this, I could believe that, I can hold to this doctrine, I could discover this and have incredible faith in the scriptures and do nothing. Or with what I know, what I believe, what I've experienced, the forgiveness I have, that I go out and I do what I'm expected to do and serve God. Your faith will grow in abundance. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Stands out to me in this verse is to do your best to present yourself to God. Present, that word present is peristemi in the Greek. And it means to place beside or near, to place a person or thing at one's disposal. In other words, make yourself available to God. Put yourself in a position to serve God. I could stay home on Sundays. I could not call people I love. I could not encourage people when they are in need and have a great faith in the Lord and, and no action. One of the things, the second thing that I believe we need to do to have a faith like Rahab is to put it in action. Because she had action, she put it to faith. And let's watch as it, as it unfolds with her putting it to faith. So before we move on, though, let's deal with the situation at hand, with lying, with her lying as a result of her faith. She lies to the authorities. Now, the first thing, what does the Bible have to say about lying? That's, it's simple. It's clear. A lot of you know the verses. Here's a few. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Exodus 20, verse 16 says this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Should not be slandering and lying about people. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Keeping Rahab in mind as you read all these, lying is an abomination to the Lord. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, believers, as believers, we should therefore have, having put away falsehood, getting, getting rid of it, taking it off, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, uh, the mur for, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we have a dilemma here. Because here we have a woman who is exercising faith in what she's been hearing. And she's hiding. She knows very well who she's hiding. And she lies about it to the authorities. And when we think about Hebrews chapter 11, when we see of the men, people throughout Scripture that are mentioned about their faith, Abraham, we see people that, Sarah, we see people like Rahab. Rahab is on that list. And, you, and it can cause a dilemma like, well, how is it if she's on this list as a liar when she's commended for what she did? Well, let's look at this. Hebrews 11.31. Hebrews 11.31 says this. Because the question comes up, so how could God bless Rahab for lying? Hebrews 11.31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know, what's interesting is, you see it throughout the scripture. When it's mentioned of Rahab, 
it goes on to say, and Rahab, the prostitute, and it, it repeats it over and over by faith, Rahab, the prostitute. So we're talking about her faith here. In James chapter 2, uh, verse 25, it says, And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what these verses are doing here is they're commending her faith. It, the scriptures are pointing out the faith. That's what she's rewarded for, if you will, commended for, her faith. Not a mention of her lies. Not a mention of her prostitution. It's speaking about her faith. It's not the works. It's not the fact that she's lied. It's not that she is a prostitute. It is focused on her faith. They don't condone her lying in any form, nor do the scriptures condone lying. But instead, it reveals that her faith was genuine, and behind her faith, there was action. And so that action shows a result of genuine faith. Now, Rahab's faith is acknowledged. It's clear. Here's what I believe we're dealing with. Because there's situations, lied to the authorities, and there is understanding, like you have the midwives who were um, lying or hiding the babies, the male babies, so they wouldn't be killed. And they were the Hebrew midwives. And they were, they were lying there. But there was something going on in the leadership, in the government, that was violating God's word, that was God, violating uh, the Lord's commands. And they were saving the lives of the Hebrew males. But that's not what I see here happening. What I believe is taking place here with Rahab is, because she knows who she's dealing with, is we're looking at an immature faith. We're looking at an immature believer. And it's understandable. There's people here, people listening that could say, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's an immature person. And it's understandable that she is a liar, perhaps a prostitute, perhaps she's stopped. We don't have a timeline. But I see this. A woman who was raised in this Jericho, pagan society, she, whatever her life turns out is she's a prostitute. And she's not following these gods. She's hearing the stories, and these stories have been going on for years it's not new. It's not like last year a story came up. These things, these events have been happening or these stories for on, on and on. So here we have this woman who is a prostitute at one point, one minute, and a believer the next. We too were new believers with dozens of bad habits, with lots of sin that we got saved one day and they just didn't drop off. There were things that continued. There are things we needed to learn, things that we need to mature in. And so I think it's important that we understand this little dilemma, if you will, with Rahab. Speaking of, of spiritually immature uh, as new believers, First Timothy, uh, sorry, First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That's the mindset, the heart set we should have, is to desire these things, but to grow and to not always be on milk, but to grow into the deeper things of the word. 
The spiritually immature make mistakes. The spiritually immature sin. And gradually, they mature throughout their sanctification, in their walk, in their drawing uh, closer to the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove the, what the will of God is, that which is per- good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect. Telios, which means uh, to come to maturity, it, to bring something to its end, finished, perfect, to mature, full-grown, adult age. And that's the picture that we have here, is that we are to be, not to be conformed with, with the world, but by the renewing. So with this renewing that takes place, it results in a maturity. We mature and grow in our faith. And so what we have here is this woman who is raised here, and she is young in her faith and lying because she probably lied all the time. Uh, No, your husband hasn't been here. Who knows what kind of lies she's been saying, but it's part of her her fiber, if you will. And so it reminds me of, of a story a pastor once shared out in L.A., I, rec- I don't recall if I heard him live or maybe recorded. But he shared this story. And he shared this, because he, it's, it's out in L.A., so he dealt with people who were former gang, uh, gang members, drug addicts, drug dealers, and so on, and, and, and violent people. And so in his church, and one Sunday or after a, a teaching, he's, he's fellowshipping with people, and people are fellowshipping and talking with the pastor after service. And the conversation kind of goes like this, and he explained it, how, what happened. A new believer was there. And this guy was, had a hard life, tatted up, a, a, just a guy with a tough, ringing up, but born again, in love with the Lord. The kind that you look in, it looks, he's a scary looking dude, but the sweetest gentleman you can see. And he said something like, the pastor calls out and says, hey brother, how are you doing, man? How are you doing? And he says, I'm doing good, pastor. I'm doing damn good. And people around there were, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe, oh, that's horrible. And it stood out to the pastor. He saw that it shocked people. And sure, it's shocking to hear that phrase in in the church. Sometimes it's almost, there's a sweetness about it, if you will, because I've seen hardened people become sweet. And then you see this glimpse of a bad habit, of something they don't realize they're doing. And it's kind of innocent. And so, He explained how we should understand and how he understood that people have come out of a hard life and things, all things just don't change overnight. And I believe that's what we have here with Rahab. You know, I personally remember when I got saved and I had a a horrible uh, use of profanity and all the time. It was just natural. It was normal. It was every sentence had something that I tried to make what the world calls colorful. And I would say, and I would use commonly the Lord's name in vain. As a believer, when I got saved, I was delivered from alcohol. And and the Lord, I fell in love with the Lord, the love with the scriptures, because I knew he loved me. I knew he forgave, forgave me for everything. But I had this, and I didn't even realize it. It was just normal. I was just talking, but I'm excited for the Lord, and I didn't realize it until I heard a pastor preach on it. 
And I, it, was a, it was a word tape ministry that I, would, I, I studied with, and, and it was on profanity and using the Lord's name in vain. And when I heard it, it just stopped me in my tracks and caught my attention, and I felt shame. But it was something I had to learn. I had to grow into. I could have been that guy that said what that guy said in church to the pastor. And what we have to understand, and I think we need to understand what's happening here with Rahab. We need to see that we need to learn to leave room for growth. Because after all, God does. And who are we to come down on people when they're just simply immature? And there's tough things that they've, they've been through. And so that's what I believe is happening with Rahab. As we go on, you'll see even more. So here's Rahab risking everything because she is lying. These, she will be guilty of death being found that she's lying and she hid these guys. And so look at verse 8. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Okay, we're going to move along here. Let's do some reading. Before the man lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and, and, and that all the inhabitants of the land uh, and that all the habit, inhabitants of the land melt away before you. They're, they're freaking out. They're fearful. Their hearts are melting because of, of what might take place, who God is and who these people are who might show up. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og. Oh, I'm sorry, and Og. Sorry, that didn't go. Okay, to Sion and, o and, <laughs> and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. You see, they were hearing the stories. They were hearing that boy. Whatever it is, whatever magic they have, whatever God that they follow, something's happening. But they were afraid. They were fearful. They weren't falling, melting in surrender to God. But something with Rahab was. And we see it here. And when she says in verse 9, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The Lord, she uses the word uh, the Yahweh. She uses Yahweh instead of a God. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and the fear has fallen upon us. So, in other words, she's saying, I have faith. I believe. I know that the Lord, that Yahweh has given you the land. You see, she's saying, I know this land is yours and you're here to take it. I know that the Red Sea was parted for you guys. And that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago when the, the Red Sea was parted. And what we see there also is the mercy of God, the patience of God for his people, but Jericho. And you could say, well, he, they just came in and wiped out Jericho? I mean, just like that? That's 40 years later. Time to repent. Time of hearing these same stories that Rahab heard. Time to uh, repent. Uh, the Lord's showing mercy. He's showing patience. And he's giving them time to repent. And you would think he's just going to go wipe them out because that's what was going to take place. That's what we see in the scriptures mentioned earlier on. Nothing about make a deal with anybody. In fact, don't make any deals with them. But we see something taking place here. And so they heard the reports, all the things. And look at um, um, uh, John 16, verse 8. 
It says, and he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world, or Jericho, if you will, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So back then, you would think, they were, wow, that was pretty rough, man. They just go in and wipe it out. They had time. They were hearing about God. Just like today, the Holy Spirit draws people, causes conviction. And he speaks, and he, and, he, and he draws us, convicts us, and we have the same opportunity to change, to examine the words that we're hearing. The person that knocked on, the, on your door and talked about Jesus Christ, you have time, and so did they. So I just see the beauty there uh, of the Lord. And so now, in Joshua 2, 9 is beautiful, because she's saying, I know Yahweh has given you the land. Look at verse um, 11. It says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted fear, like trembling. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you, you people. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? What's beautiful about this is when you look at Hebrews uh, 11, you see the names like um, Moses, um, you know, Joshua, and Rahab. So you have these two spectrums of, of life. You have Abraham, you have Moses, Joshua, you have, and then you have this harlot, this prostitute, if you will. A Canaanite prostitute raised in this place, Jericho, makes it all the more beautiful because we see the Israelites going to Jericho and they wipe it out, but we see God's mercy. And we do see God working with a Canaanite. Much like what I was going through uh, Mark 7 and 8, and, and we see at the time when Jesus takes his disciples for some time and he ministered to the Gentiles. He's there to seek and to save that which was lost, the Jewish people, but he has the heart for the Gentiles. And here we see this taking place even in this time. It's a beautiful picture when you think of who Rahab was, the life she lived and we see her uh, trusting the stories. She didn't have scriptures. She didn't have a preacher. She heard the stories and the conviction in her heart she respond, responded to. When did she respond to it? Some people will say right then. Right, That's when she made her, her uh, profession of faith. Well, that's what we have recording of her talking about what she has faith in. When it started, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know the, the growing pains or the things that she was doing while she's had this faith. But perhaps it was, now it's happening. They're here. It's happening, and maybe then she, she turns to the Lord. But the, the fact is, she is a believer in Yahweh. Look at verse, we need to march along here. Verse 12. Verse 12. Let's read some here. Now then, now then, please swear to me by the Lord uh, that as I have dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all 
who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell the business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly with you and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall, there it is, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. You see, here we have the heart of a new believer. She's action, her faith is in action here. And she is, has the heart of a new believer. What happened when we got saved? When we got saved, we were thanking the Lord realizing we're, we're, we're saved, we're born again, forgiven, and, and we're excited. We're, and then we turn around and we look at our family and our loved ones and maybe your, your spouse, your children, and you realize, oh Lord, save them. How can I help? How do I do this? How do I minister to them? We see this here. We see the same thing taking place with her, this precious selflessness, if you will. There's intercession taking place. Uh, she was a desire to, for them to do right or kindly to her or for her family. She has a selfless desire to see others saved. And that is powerful because that we, we can all, we've all been there. We have all been there. We come to our senses. We're born again. And we, and we look and we see our friends, our family, our loved ones, even strangers in a whole different light because we know about the wrath of God. We know he's real, we know hell is real, and our hearts break, and we do everything we can to help finally, somehow, get them saved. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, The man said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father, your, your, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. In other words, we're going to come back. If we, and if they exit the house and then the deal's off for them, they're, they're done. It'll be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. We'll guard you. They made the deal. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. We see that she's taken on a ministry, her household. And number three, of having a faith like Rahab's is to identify, for us to identify, identify your ministry priority. Because we can get saved and, well, I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go to this country. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to there. And you're a husband and a father and not everyone is saved and you're spending time in a place where you shouldn't when your household needs you. In a nutshell, that's what um, my third point is. And we see her taking care of business, her priority, her ministry priority. In Proverbs, for example, um, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, of course, 
that principle is to train up your child and give them the scriptures so they understand and so that when they're older, it won't leave them in their hearts. <laughs> You've messed them up for sin. At least, hopefully, so the point when they're making those wrong decisions or whether they make the decision or not, they'll remember what mom said. They'll remember that the scriptures say this, and, but they might still do it. But the promise that it's speaking, it doesn't mean that they're going to do all the right thing. They're going to be saved because you taught them the Bible. It shows that it'll be there and help them when they make their decisions, whether right or wrong. It won't depart from them. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone, so here we have parents, train up your child. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, your husbands as well. But if anyone, in other words, believers, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And of course, provide, it means a provision in advance, in, in foresight to, uh, to prepare things for them, not just for today, but for their lives, to helping them al along the way. So number three is identifying your ministry priority and knowing where the Lord needs you or where he should, you should be uh, serving him in, in, instead of spreading yourself thin, if you will. But she placed this cord out her window and she secured uh, her and her family's safety with this deal. And it's very familiar when you think of Passover and you think of the blood on the door and you see that, if any, and it, that, that the angel of death would pass. And so here we have um, uh, Joshua who is going to allow those that are in that home with that scarlet cord which is a beautiful picture of the blood. Joshua uh, 2.22 says this, They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers uh, searched all along the way and found nothing. So they didn't catch them. In 23, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You see, her faith, this faith of Rahab, it made her make herself available to serve the Lord. It didn't only uh, serve her well, but her household and God's purpose, God's will, to the plan for Jericho. Had she not done what she did, it'd be a whole mess. But they returned and says, it's on. Jericho is ours. And so Rahab played an amazing role because of her faith. She protected the spies. She surrendered to the Lord. She's ultimately protecting her family, her household. She's found herself in God's will. The third or fourth thing is that we wait on the Lord. You see, she made this deal. You train up your children. You're loving your maybe unbelieving husband, spouse. Maybe you're in your household and your parents aren't believers, but you're trusting the Lord. And you leave it in the Lord's hands. 
but we're praying for them, we're interceding for them. And here she says, they left. She has a deal. When she comes back, she knows this is theirs. They're going to destroy this, just like they did in Og and Sion. Just like the, sea was red, uh, part, the Red Sea was parted, there's going to be destruction here. But I'm a follower of God. I'm going to be spared and my household. They left. And now it's the waiting game. Waiting on the Lord. We could find ourselves right now sitting here and saying, you know, I'm, I'm so sick of this Jericho I live in. I'm tired of this world. It's pathetic. It's terrible. It's, it's attacking me. It's destroying my family my marriage, my faith. But we, if to have a, a faith like Rahab, it means we need to trust and wait on the Lord, just like she did when they left. She was going to trust and wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Be strong, the, the words there mean to become strong, to be strengthened. So it's not, hey, just be strong. It's be strengthened through this trial, through this weight, through this time. You're leaning more and more on God. And he will keep you standing because you're leaning on something, someone who's not going to let you down. So waiting on the Lord's promises. Now, what we see here is this, the, the fifth thing. In Joshua 6, uh, verse 16, it says this, and I'll read these verses. 16, and at, the seventh, and at the seventh time, now this is them marching around Jericho, and it's destruction time. When the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all it, it, that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. In verse 22 of Joshua 6, it says, But to the two men, oh, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. And bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. As that deal was made, the promise fulfilled, and they pulled them out. In Joshua 6.25 it says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. The fifth thing is we need to commit to living out our days following the Lord. A commitment that I'm going to stand fast to the Lord. And it's not going to be on my own willpower because this world can overtake me if I let it, if I draw too close to it. If I embrace sin, it'll destroy me. I need to lean on the Lord. I got to commit to always looking through things how the Lord would want me to deal with with these things. You know, the beautiful part here is it says that um, um, Joshua saved alive. Um, a uh, Bible teacher wrote this, and, and I really thought it was cool. Pointed out that Joshua um, was, uh, was going to be the savior for Rahab and the judge for Jericho. And he points out that the, 
the similarity with Jesus, a savior for those who receive him and a judge for those who reject him. And so we see that entire picture played out here, that Jesus Christ is for us. Jesus Christ will save us alive, if you will. Our names are written in heaven if you're following the Lord. Look at Psalm 23. What is Psalm 23? Right? The Lord is my shepherd. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we see the beauty of Rahab's faith and how it blessed not only herself in the midst of a Jericho, but her family, God's will, God's people, and us today as a result. And look, there's so many things, more than five, that we can pull from, uh, from Rahab's life. But we have in Hebrews 11, from Abraham to Rahab. And you know what's also beautiful about Rahab is we can't forget Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1. When we see the genealogy running down all the way and we see the name after name after name and then we see Rahab's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you know, when you think of that, you're like, wow, Rahab? Yes. And when you think of Rahab, we need to stop and think of it this way. Me. The Lord can use me in mighty ways. The Lord is using you in mighty ways. And you know why? Because you have his word in your heart. Because you're a follower of Christ. And because of that, you have what the world needs. Here's one way you want your name written down, if you will, in, in, in the genealogy of your own, whatever it is, is that when we're, we're dead and we're gone, is that there's something that still stands out of dad's faith, mom's faith. Remember grandma's faith? Remember Uncle Bob? And that it continues whether the, thing, the things that you've left behind, that legacy you left behind, his legacy, that it wasn't Steve, it wasn't Ralph, it wasn't Carol, it was Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit through that person. Amen? So let's bow our hearts and just and thank the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful things that we have recorded in Scripture. Lord, the mighty way that you used a, a former prostitute, a former liar, a person who was able to endure the surroundings of Jericho, which was destroyed. Ultimately, it was to all be destroyed, but Lord, there was a faith of Rahab. Lord, I pray that we would learn from this, that we too are in this gigantic uh, uh, place, just like Jericho in this world. And Lord, help us not to be part of this world. Help us, Lord, not to be conformed to it. Help us, Lord, to be renewed, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be changed. Help us to stand out. Lord, understanding that when we stand out, it's for our own protection. When we lose friends, when we lose people that don't want anything to do with you, Lord, that it is actually a good thing to safeguard us, but that we wouldn't lose uh, our compassion for them, but that even more so we would become intercessors prayer warriors. Lord, use us the way you used Rahab in whatever our situations are. Whoever it is, Lord, that will respond to something we say, share, or how we live our lives. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, fill us, direct us, give us divine opportunities 
like this beautiful divine uh, uh, appointment um, that you gave the spies, the two spies in Rahab, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be ready and to present ourselves, to make ourselves ready to be used by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.